the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. My guest for the interview today is Governor Chris Christie, formerly governor of New Jersey, Mets fan, who's rejoicing in the fact the Mets are 30 and 24 on the power of Francisco Lindor, hitting 217 at shortstop. The Indians, Ahmad Rosario, is hitting 250, Governor. Pretty good swap. I, I, I know you're a happy guy about it, Hugh, but... You know, we have faith in Frankie. We only have another 11 years with him, so we got we to have faith. You know, he cannot hit 217 for 10 more years, right? That's, not, that's just not him. We, we sincerely hope not, and we believe in Frankie. He's getting hot. Remember, he was down about 170, so 217 is a big improvement over where we were about two, three weeks ago. He's climbing. He's climbing. All right, Governor, let yeah. me start with the hard stuff. I've been asking Tim Scott yesterday and Tom Cotton, about the Chinese Communist Party and its designs on Taiwan and asking what would the United, if you were president to those guys and to you, if you were president and they make a move on Taiwan, either by the People's Liberation Army Navy with a direct invasion or via Little Green Men, which is what Admiral Stavridis worries about taking over airfields and landing airplanes full of PLA troops. What would the United States do if you were in charge? Well, the, the United States has long said you that we have an obligation to protect Taiwan. And and I don't think the United States could back away from that. I think before communist Chinese got to that point, um, as president, you'd have to make very clear to the Chinese that that was a bridge for them not to cross. Um, and if they did, that the ramifications uh, by the United States would be both economic and military. And would we shoot down CCP planes, do you really think we would do that? Uh, Hugh, I think we would have to give that the most serious consideration, yes, because at the end of the day, um, you talk about the, the strategic importance of Taiwan, recognizing that, for instance, um, a huge number of the microprocessors that are uh, developed and built in the world are built in Taiwan. Uh, and the strategic importance of Taiwan is not just uh, geopolitical. It's also economic uh, and can lead to enormous, enormous advantages for the Chinese that the United States just could not tolerate, in addition to our moral obligation to the to the people of Taiwan. Now, a senior naval official heard me talking with Senator Scott and called me afterwards. He retired and said what we ought to be doing is telling the Chinese if they ever make a forceful move against Taiwan, even if they get away with it, uh, because they we were caught flat-footed or Joe Biden throws in the cards or whatever. We will close the Panama Canal. We will close the Arabian Gulf. We will make them fight that battle 
on our turf, which is not the South China Sea. What do you think about declarations like that and raising the profile of the conflict now so as to deter aggression a month from now or six or after the Olympics in Beijing in 2022? Well, that's what I was implying in my answer to you, which is that you can't wait until it's about to happen or it does happen. You have to make very clear to the Chinese beforehand what the ramifications are going to be. The reason for doing that is twofold. One is to try to avoid the conflict altogether. Um, but if not, it is to lay the predicate for what you're going to do so that you can have the support of the American people and other allies around the world to take those type of aggressive steps. That's why you need to do it. It's a twofold reason. How do you rate President Biden's early actions vis-a-vis the Chinese Communist Party? Jake Sullivan is a hawk. Tony Blinken has talked a good talk. But then we have former Secretary of State Kerry talking about climate change as a separate track from everything else that China does. No, look, I have not been impressed so far with what President Biden has done. Um, I thought yesterday, for instance, the the maneuvering on, on Chinese apps like TikTok is confusing. And it, it seems to me that things are driven throughout the Biden administration, not just in foreign policy, but just being perceived to do the opposite of the Trump administration, whether or not he agreed with what the Trump administration did or not. It's being driven by politics, by domestic politics and political consumption, rather than what's best for the United States. And there's no question um, that, that we should be, in my view, um, shutting down things like TikTok. Now, in the 2016 cycle, Governor, I talked endlessly about the Ohio-class submarine. I think I'm going to be talking endlessly about China and Taiwan because the issue set has changed. Today in the New York Times comes word that they have reimposed lockdown in a southern city of millions because of a virus outbreak. Is there any reason that you would believe anything they told us about the nature of that virus outbreak, whether it's a variant, whether they're vaccines? Would you believe anything they tell us? No, you can't. You can't believe anything they've told us. They've lied to us from the beginning on this, both in terms of I believe it's, it's, it's origin and um, I believe they've lied to us about uh, how the thing has progressed through their country um, and what steps they were taking to prevent it from spreading around the world. And so there's no reason to believe the Chinese at all on this. Uh, and when you think about the damage they've done to the United States and the entire world, um, you know, there's no reason for us to be giving them any credence in what they tell us. Okay, that leads me to Jonah Goldberg's uh, article on Friday of last week, The Long Kowtow to China. The entertainment industry and sports industries were called out specifically by Jonah as being involved in obsequience of of an unparalleled variety. Do you see that? What do we do about that? Because the American uh, company is making too much money and the American entertainment industry is making too much money from China. What do we do about that? Well, there has to be an entire sea change in the way we talk about China. And let's face it, Hugh, most of our leaders, Republican and Democrat, over the course of the last 50 years, starting with Nixon's opening to China um, back in the early 70s, have said, if we allow China to economically develop, then freedom will follow. If we allow China to economically develop, then human rights will follow. Um, If we allow China to economically develop, um, then democracy will follow in some form. Um, Look, we were wrong. We were wrong. It hasn't. Um, It simply hasn't happened. And so what we need to do is from the top of our government, through our business leaders and others, we need to change our tone regarding China. It needs to be much more like our tone was about Russia 
in the 70s, uh, than it was about China in the 70s. And when that happens, I think we can turn around the the, um, the, the actions and conduct of, of the folks um, in our business community in terms of having a absolutely coordinated policy as best we can towards how we deal with the Chinese. But if the rhetoric doesn't change from atop the federal government, both in the White House and in Congress, then uh, then it won't change. Are you persuaded a genocide is underway in China? Yes. As a result, when you see an actor like John Cena apologize in Mandarin for mentioning Taiwan, what ought the the response? Of, you know, obviously, he has a First Amendment right to make a movie, has a First Amendment right to debase himself. But what should the government do in a situation like that? Well, look again. This is a this is it's got to begin with with a rhetorical change, Hugh. And if we don't start making the point to folks like John Cena and others that we are dealing with a regime in China. Um, that does not respect human rights, um, and that to, to, to apologize for mentioning Taiwan is to uh, miss the forest for the trees uh, when you see what's happening in labor camps uh, all throughout China uh, and the way they treat political opposition in China. Uh, that's the thing. Those are the things that should be being apologized for, not for mentioning Taiwan. Three senators are making a trip to China. That's got the Chinese communists outraged. Ought we to make a regular visit there? Ought you to go to China, Governor? I mean, to Taiwan. Look, no, look, I think we, I, I think we should, um, and uh, and it's something that I'm actively considering as well because you have to put your money where your mouth is, Hugh. And if I'm going to be saying we should need to be standing up Taiwan for Taiwan to the point where we have to both uh, threaten and meaningfully threaten what the China to the Chinese, what we will do if they threaten the independence of Taiwan. Uh, you know, that's the that's the kind of thing that we have to do to symbolize American resolve. Uh, Olympics 2022 are scheduled for the Winter Games in China. What ought to be the response of the United States vis-a-vis that? I mean, it's a genocide. We have declared it. Tony Blinken has agreed. This is official policy. What ought we to say to our athletes and the sponsors of those games that are making money off of their being televised? You know, Hugh, the... The Olympics and and, uh, and the role of politics in the Olympics has always been controversial. But I'd have to tell you, as president, I would be giving serious consideration right now um, to not allowing the Americans to participate. And is it fair to the athletes to make them carry the burden of the American political consequence? Because if they did went that way, we will have a replay of 1980 and Jimmy Carter got hell for that. He did. And look, and the American people love the Olympics. And they, and they take great pride in our athletes. And there's two arguments to be made on it. But um, this, this is about going and changing our entire approach to China. China has, you know, uh, allowed uh, themselves to take us as weaklings. And, and, I, and quite frankly, um, you know, I don't think the Trump administration did nearly enough in this regard as well. So if you're going to have a sea change, you need to have a sea change. And that means that you know, people in the United States are going to have to make sacrifices as well. You know, uh, the our athletes, some economic sacrifices from our businesses. Um, but uh, there's a bigger, bigger stake here, Hugh, and that is uh, how human life is treated around the world um, and how the United States is going to be considered going forward and whether we're going to be a 21st century superpower or whether we're going to submit ourselves to the will of the Chinese. When you consider... General Secretary Xi and his ambition. What do you think he and his Politburo want, Governor Christie? 
They want China to be the dominant country in the world. There's and what's that, that look like? About it. What's what that look like, like for us? It should scare what it would scare people for what it looks like for us, because the Chinese have no respect for human rights. The Chinese have no respect for intellectual property. The Chinese have no respect for economic the economic interests of those who work hard to earn their money. Um, and look, I think the biggest failing vis-a-vis China from the Trump administration was the admiration regularly expressed by President Trump for President Z. He never earned it. He didn't deserve it. And it sent the wrong message to the American people. And it sent the wrong message to the Chinese. Remember, at the beginning, at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, pandemic, President Trump was praising President Z for the actions that he was taking, saying that President Z was doing a great job. He trusted President Z to control the virus. I don't know based on what conduct those decisions were made, because I've never seen President Z do anything that showed you to respect the rights of human beings to be safe, secure, and happy. Did, did you discuss that with him at the time it was occurring, Governor Christie? Did you talk to President Trump about the nature of the man running China? I did, and he thought he was a good guy. That's what he uh, told me. And, and by meaning good guy, what what did that imply to you? That he's just another developer, just another, uh, you know, I don't you know, know it's autocrat. Hard, hard to tell, hard to tell. But I think there was admiration there. And I think President Trump, <clears throat> we saw this um, in other parts of the world as well, um, had admiration for people he perceived to be strong leaders. So I read good guy as somebody that he thought was a strong leader. Um, I can't imagine he thought he was a good person, um, but I think he was that translated into strong leader. But to me, he's a dictator, an autocrat, and a human rights ab- abuser. And and the word, the phrase, rather, good guy should never be used regarding somebody who has that record. Have you talked in the last couple of months with former President Trump? In, not in the last couple of months, no. Has, have you heard this reinstatement talk that has been covered from anyone with access to the president? Is that actually real? You know, hard to, hard to tell you, because it's hard to tell who has access to the former president um, and, and what, what they're saying. But let's remember something. Um, you know, the problem with all of this is for our party and then ultimately for our country is that all of this backward-looking talk, whether it comes from the former president from supporters and allies of his in this regard um, is bad for our party and bad for our country. Parties that look backwards to you are losers. They're losing parties. The parties that look forward through the windshield and lay out and, art- and articulate a vision for the future that is contrary to the one that's being laid out in real time by the Biden administration and the Democratic Congress is the way the Republican Party will recover from the historic losses we've had in the last two years, let us remember that we lost the House, the Senate, and the White House within two years. The only time that's happened to our party before is Herbert Hoover. So we're talking about historic losses here, and the way for us to recover from it is not to continue to look backwards, but to look forward. 
Now, on Sunday, Ross Taffet, who's a very fine columnist that ought to be read by everyone on the center right, and I hope a lot on the left, wrote a column, and we talked about it in our podcast yesterday, about the Democratic hard left's deep worry, allegedly, about a Trump coup in 2024. Is this a fetish of the left, Governor Christie, or do we have to take seriously that a slice of the Democratic left believes that he's coming back, and if he loses in 2024, there will be a replay of January 6th that makes January 6th look like a child's play. This is a fetish of the left and ridiculousness. Let's remember something. January 6th was an awful, tragic day, but January 7th was the day that showed the resiliency of our democracy because the members of the House and the Senate returned to the floor in the early morning hours of January 7th and did what needed to be done for the country, which was to show that our institutions worked, operated, and without fear, they went back onto the floor and they did their job. And so I think this is look, The left never wants to stop talking about Donald Trump. The left never wants to stop fear-mongering about Donald Trump. Uh, that's, they believe, the only way they won that election in 2020, and they're right. And so they want to continue to do this. The media shouldn't contribute to it, and we shouldn't contribute to it uh, by spending too much time on it. It's a ridiculous thought. We will have a fair, full, and I hope informed presidential election in 2024 where the candidates are held to account for what they know and what they don't know, for what they believe and what they stand for. Um, and if we have that argument on the issues going forward, the Republican Party will do very well. That leads me then to my guest tomorrow. David Bossy is on tomorrow. He is chairing the committee established by RNC chairwoman Ronna McDaniel to set the debate rules for the 2024 cycle. The reason he's doing that is under the rules of the RNC, those rules must be established before the end of the 2022 cycle in order to bind everyone who wishes to be president in 2024. That will both address the general election and our relationship with the Presidential Debate Commission and the primary debates. I'm of the opinion that the networks ought to have nothing to do with the primary debates. They ought to be post, you know, put on by the RNC. They ought to be staffed by the RNC. The RNC ought to select the moderators. Those moderators ought to be people center-right like me. I asked you questions in 2016. They're significantly different than the questions you got from your colleague at ABC, George Stephanopoulos, asking Mitt Romney in, in 2012. I just think we ought to take it over. Let's talk about the primary process first. Do you agree with me, Governor Christie? Well, first off, I, I do agree that I think it makes real sense um, for us to be having questions asked during the primary process from people who actually know and understand the issues within our party and around the country, and that can ask those in a way um, that are productive for our voters to be able to hear answers that are going to help them determine who they're going to vote for. What I, what I would say is that that requires of you and everyone else a different format as well a format which allows folks like you to follow up when you get answers that are nonsensical. Uh, and, and I know you were frustrated at times in 2016 from some nonsensical answers you got, and the format didn't allow you to follow up. Um, we need to be doing a lot of things different. I will say this. I have great faith in Dave Bosby. I've known Dave for a long time. I think Dave is a fair guy, a smart guy, and an experienced political guy. Um, and I think he will put forward some very good ideas and gather good ideas for you and others. And so, you know, in the end, um, I think it's our party. Um, it's our nominating process. Uh, and we shouldn't cede control of that nominating process to anyone. If you want to invite people from the networks to participate, that could be a choice made by the party. 
Now, to the Presidential Debate Commission, what is your assessment of the job that they have done, not only in the last cycle, but in the last four or five cycles? You know, Hugh, I, I think it's I think it's been it's for, for Republicans. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's like playing an away game. Um, and I think it's, you know, very difficult. However, campaigns have not cloaked themselves in honor either regarding how they've dealt with and politicized some of the debate process. Right. So I think the whole idea of it was to get some kind of independent third party involved to make sure that debate happens. Um, and happened to, in a timing and a frequency that gave the American people as much information as they could get. Unfortunately, they have not been an independent third party. And for Republicans, it's been like playing an away game. So I think we need to relook at that entire process as well. I think it's been an away game, and the officiating crew is from the conference that's hosting the away game. And, I, and, and there may be money changing hands. It really is that bad, in my view. And I've got nothing. There are some people like Lester Holt could do a fine job. I think Dana Bash could do a fine job. I think John, John Dickerson can do a fine job. But we don't end up with that, Chris Christie. No. And I don't think we can allow that to continue. We can't. Look. I continue to remember, you remember, I was the number one surrogate for Mitt Romney in 2012. Yes. And and it was beyond crazy to watch what Kennedy Crowley did to Mitt Romney uh, in that debate with Barack Obama. She changed the course of that debate. She changed the course, of, I believe, of the election um, by the way she intervened on Barack Obama's behalf and belittled Mitt Romney in that second debate. Um, and, and so... You know, we can't allow that kind of stuff to happen. We can't allow people with an agenda. I think the people you just mentioned are all people who, in my experience with them, have been fair questioners. Um, but we don't we don't wind up with those folks uh, most of the time. Uh, and it's it's not fair to the Republican nominee for president to have to deal with that additional impediment. So I think we need to be a little we need to be more aggressive in terms of our demands of what happens in that group. And it may be that this commission needs to be changed completely. Now, Governor, I want to close with three substantive issues about which the party is divided right now. The first is Senate Bill 1. The parties are deeply divided. The Democrats talk as though this is the 14th Amendment. The Republicans reject it out of hand. It's anti-constitutional. What does Governor Christie think about it? Anti-constitutional. All right. Easy. Second one, critical race theory. I actually don't believe many people know what they're talking about when they address critical race theory. They're more worried about the politicization of education. But when you hear it, what do you think and what ought the Republican Party to say about it? What the Republican Party should say is that we need to talk about the entire history of our country and our children need to be taught that. I am extraordinarily concerned about the politicization of our educational system. Hugh, we had a circumstance in my own school district here um, in New Jersey where there was a lesson that was being taught about the American dream, myth or reality. And they said you had to write your essay about whether it was a myth or reality from the materials given to you. And my niece was given materials that only backed up myth. She still wrote an essay saying it was reality. And she was penalized for it because she, they told her, you didn't write it from the materials we gave you. We have the public sector unions uh, politicizing this educational system across the country. Critical race theory is just one element of it. We need to be concerned about all of it, Hugh. Now, do you, there is a backlash already against Republicans who raise this issue. Uh, the uh, accusation of racism is on the lips of every critic of Republicans worried about local education, to which— what should the response be? The response should be, 
We want our children to be taught about the entirety of American history. Do I want our children to be taught about the racial sins committed in this country over the course of our history? You bet I do. Um, but I also want our children to be taught about all of the extraordinary things that have been done by the people of this country on behalf of our fellow citizens and everyone around the world and what an extraordinary force for good the United States has been um, across the entire world over the course of our 245 years of history here. And so uh, what I want is an is, is a educational system that teaches our children to feel pride in where they live and where they're from and what's been done. And part of that pride is about understanding when we've made mistakes, how we've, we've recovered from those mistakes. That's what we should be teaching people around the country, and that's what we should be talking about. And that's not racism. That's realism. Last question, Governor. We began with baseball. I want to end with baseball. When Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game out of Hank Aaron's hometown of Atlanta, where he made his mark, what did you think of what MLB did and Coca-Cola and American Airlines? Ought they to have apologized for the insinuations they made about the Georgia voting integrity bill? Well, they were wrong about the bill. At the end of the day, this is what happens when people um, reflexively react um, to rhetoric that's being thrown around by elements of the media and uh, parts of the far left wing of the Democratic Party. Um, I was talking, you'll remember, repeatedly on Sundays about um, how this bill was not what they were saying it was. Uh, and the fact is that these other, uh, quote unquote, leaders um, got caught up in the rhetoric, got, allowed themselves to be stampeded, and and, uh, and and were wrong, especially, you know, the folks from Delta Airlines, the folks from Coca-Cola, um, I think made huge mistakes. Baseball, I think, also was in an extraordinarily difficult position because of what, what, what how the players might react to all of this. And would you begin to have players boycott the All-Star game? So baseball was in an extraordinarily difficult position, especially when, their corporate sponsors in Georgia abandoned ships so quickly. Governor Chris Christie, always a pleasure to talk to you. Keep coming back. I appreciate it. Great to talk to you, Hugh. Let's go Mets. <laughs> okay. Go Frankie. I want him back. I want him back at the top of the batting order, even though he is he's a good good Met now. He's a great Indian. Thank you, Governor. Be well. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. That concludes today's episode of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888 You'll be glad you did, and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.